And welcome to Chazak's Torah Talks, Chazak's Tuesday Timely Torah Talks program with special guests. Tonight we have with us Rabbi Yoav Robinson from Eretz Yisrael, from Eretz HaKodesh. Welcome, Rabbi. How you doing? Baruch Hashem. Thank you. Oh, so uh, tonight is going to be a very interesting episode, a very interesting program podcast that we have. But before we delve into tonight's topic... We'd like to ask Rabbi Yoav, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves and the great work you're involved with uh, in Eretz HaKodesh in the Holy Land. Thank you. Um, so we'll start just a little bit of my, my background. I was actually born a secular Jew in Israel on a kibbutz. I am a 10th generation Israeli. So my great, great, great grandparents probably arrived about 1777. There was a movement from Europe of Hasidim who moved to Israel. Um, I grew up the, most of my life secular, and um, basically in my travels, in my studies, I started to uh, get to know Yiddishkeit, Judaism, get to know Hashem, and eventually the tshuva, went to yeshiva, studied there for about uh, four years, went to kolel, got my uh, smicha as a rabbi, and decided to dedicate my life to basically helping others in whatever way possible. Um, In the past, I used to teach uh, and volunteer in Israeli jails to give Torah classes to inmates. I also volunteered for many years with IDF soldiers to go over there and basically, you know, help connect them to Yiddishkeit, to Judaism. And today I've been in uh, this organization called Yad La'achim for the past eight years, and I'm loving it, um, every moment of it. It's a, you know, amazing work. It's not that easy, you'll hear in the, in the, in the next uh, half an hour, but uh, it's really satisfying to feel that I'm, you know, helping other, uh, other Jews, you know, connect to Judaism and connect to their neshama, to their soul, and, uh, you know, ha- live a happy, successful life. Amazing, amazing. Wow. I know firsthand of the great work that Yalla Achim does. Uh, my friend in America, Rabbi Nassana Gans, runs the operations over here. And we're many years, Chazak has done events together with Yad Lachim. And then we've heard the stories, we've seen the stories. Unbelievable. And, you know, just recently in, in America, New York, in, in Queens, uh, we uh, were involved with an issue with missionaries. And this is not something new for Chazak. I remember as a, as a young, uh, energetic, uh, youthful uh, person when Chazak started, I was the tender age of, I think, 15, 16 there was a missionary on one end of the block and I would stand in a little bit further down and he would give out his pamphlets and I would take it away from everybody else and, and throw it away. So some might feel that a religious Jew in a from community, in a religious community doesn't get affected by missionaries. Uh, how do you feel about this inaccuracy, Rabbi? Okay, so yes, it is definitely inaccurate to say that or to think that way. Um, the truth is really nobody's completely immune to missionaries. And we have to, to understand that we kind of have to get into the mind of a missionary to understand what he wants, what he's searching for. And that's how we'll understand how to basically protect ourselves and how to not, you know, fall into that. So, first of all, we, we should know that for missionaries, um, proselytizing a, a Jew as opposed to a non-Jew is worth much more. So, for instance, you know, if a missionary got one Jew, it's the equivalent of maybe a thousand or maybe 10,000 non-Jews who converted. That's the significance of the belief of missionaries. That's why, for instance, in Israel, which is, you know, the homeland of the Jewish people, 
um, almost uh, a, a billion shekels, which is the equivalent of about uh, maybe $300 million, wow. is donated every year for missionary work in Israel alone. So there's much more money pumped into Israel as opposed to China or Africa or other parts of the world. Because again, they are interested in getting uh, Jews to convert to Christianity, and it fulfills part of their own theology and belief. So that's one thing. Second thing is, um, what are missionaries looking for? Usually they are looking for the weaker, um, more problematic individual in a group. So they're in, when they're trained to be missionaries, they're trained to, to, to look at a group and quickly analyze who is the person who's most likely going to talk with them, listen to them, and eventually convert. And they're looking for people that have maybe social problems, less, you know, don't have a lot of friends, are, um, you know, living by themselves, lonely, are not part of a community. They're looking for people who might have issues with their, um, their family, could be their parents, could be their siblings problems within a marriage. They're looking for people that have financial problems where they can use money as a way to, you know, uh, fish them into the religion. And the list goes on, but basically they're looking for someone who has an issue. Now, in any community, regardless if you're from or not, there are people in the community that have issues, have problems to deal with. And those people are, you know, more uh, likely to fall into uh, this, this, to missionaries and to the belief. And the way it works is it's not that they ask you, you know, it's not like you've been a missionary and the next day is like, okay, you want to baptize now and become Christian. It's a process. So initially they become friends. They might not even tell you that they believe in Christianity. They might even, you know, they'll tell you I'm Jewish. And and they they actually might be Jewish. I mean, there are Jews for Yoshke, you know, Jews for Jesus. So this actually happens and they're not lying. So they are Jewish. Their belief is not Judaism. And so they start off as, as, as a friendship. They may, may help you. They may give you, um, you know, some, some counseling, some advice. And then what they were looking to is to grow and strengthen this bond and eventually lead the person to the house of prayer where, you know, the church or if it's in a person's house. And it's a process that the person doesn't feel like he's doing something wrong at any step in the, of, 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 the, of the process. But eventually they might bring them into Christianity. Now, there is actually a downside for, be, for being a from person because a from person is, is, is pretty sure of themselves that they know Torah. So if I know Torah, hey, this can't happen to me, right? How can I fall into such belief, into such dis- deceit and lies? The problem is, is because there's this overconfidence of knowing Torah, most from people actually are not that, that knowledgeable of the Tanakh, of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible. You know, they, they're, they're good in Gemara, they know the Mishnah, they know Shulchan Aruch, right? The, the, the Rishonim, Machonim, but Tanakh. Most people don't study Tanakh on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a, you know, basic, on an everyday basis, except for the parts that we learn, uh, that we, 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 we read on, on the Haftorah, on Shabbos and the, and the holidays. Most people don't, do, don't touch on the Tanakh. Now, the problem is the missionaries, that's their weapon. They're using the Tanakh. They're, they're manipulating the texts. And they're using the Tanakh to, to try to, to prove and teach and manipulate the person into believing it. So someone who's from, who doesn't know Tanakh, could potentially fall into that because they're showing him verses from the Tanakh. And it says things that, you know, if you take that verse out of context, you might think, wow, maybe it is talking about him. And then doubt sinks in. 
and they build one after the other step by step. And that's how they can get someone completely from into oh, wow. their belief. Now, I, I want to mention one last thing. They've translated the New Testament into Yiddish. Okay, so it's in Yiddish, Yiddish now. Yiddish, yes. So they're targeting, you know, they are looking to target from communities. And again, within Judaism, Judaism itself, if you're able to convert a from Jew, wow, that's like the you know the biggest fish you can you can find in the ocean because it's it's for them to show off, hey, we got a from Jew to convert is much more meaningful than a secular Jew, which is again much more meaningful than a non-Jew. So it's like there's a hierarchy of who you want to get. Wow. And we've we've been aware in Israel, um, there have been several missionaries who were actually not even Jewish, who dressed from, lived a from lifestyle, sent their kids to from schools, and they were not even Jewish. And their whole mission was to infiltrate the Orthodox community, you know, create bonds and ties, look for the weakest one, and try to pull them in. Lucky for us, Yad Achim and a few of our affiliates were able to expose these, um, you know, secret uh, sleeper cell type uh, missionaries. We know there's more out there. We're looking for them, you know, but the best thing to do is to, to let the community know, the religious, the from community, you know, that yes, this is something that we should be aware of. We don't necessarily have to be afraid, but we should know that it exists and that we are a target and we should know how to protect ourselves. And maybe we can speak about that later on. Unbelievable. Wow. Unreal. Very, very scary. And we have to keep our eyes uh, wide open to be extra careful about this. Uh, so w- w- what are the warning signs that we should be aware of with missionizing material and events? Like, what, what, what are you... Uh... Okay, so um, the classic stuff that's been, you know, done for years is usually flyers being passed out on street corners, uh, mailboxes. Um, there were times they were putting in CDs and even booklets. Um, so those things we should be aware of. Uh, we should know that, you know, when those things are passed out, uh, children are usually more vulnerable. In Israel, by the way, there is a law which isn't really dealt with properly, but there is a law that against uh, missionizing children. Wow. So a missionary cannot actually speak to a child about converting to a different religion. Although um, all of our attempts to take to go with parents and children to the police to report it and to for it to you know to go through the courts, it never arrived in the courts. The courts in Israel and the police haven't really done anything about it um, mm-hmm. um, for political reasons. Yeah, we, we know that there's a lot of pressure from the American government not to prosecute missionaries in Israel, uh, even though they're going against the law. Wow. So those are, the, those are the, 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 the old school ways of doing missionary work was usually that. Today, there's the, it's, we're in the new age of technology. Um, there's social media, there's internet, there's YouTube, there's you know, uh, Google advertisements. And the missionaries are, are very keen on using those to get everywhere and anywhere. So um, I want to first go back and just talk about the flyer. So if you, for instance, you mentioned before that you stood on a street and you saw a missionary and you took it and you threw it out. That was great. That was exactly what you should have done. Um, and what we, what we tell people to do is never try to argue with missionaries because, uh, first of all, they're trained in theology to argue back. And if you're not, you are not an expert on the subject, they may say things that you have no answers for. Now, the fact that you don't have an answer doesn't mean that there is no answer. It says that you are not, you know, haven't been learn, learning this subject, and therefore you don't have the answer. Now, to the community around, 
it doesn't, it would, it will not look good if the missionary is saying things that is sounding convincing, and you all of a sudden, after arguing for a couple of minutes, have nothing to answer back. So that can cause a problem. That can bring in doubt. So I recommend not arguing with missionaries, and you're not going to convince them. It's not like I have never seen a missionary convinced to leave their religion while you know standing on the street. That's also a process. I can tell you from my own experience that <clears throat> nobody leaves the belief in one day. You have to meet them many times and talk about it and slowly build up this, um, this, this idea of why their belief system is wrong. So standing on the street next to them and warning the community. So I would say if you stood there, you could, you could have said um, to the, the Jews passing by, you know, beware, this is a missionary, this is Christianity, don't take any of the flyers. Or if you feel, you know, uncomfortable doing that, you can take, you know, people passing uh, who took it, take it, like you said, and throw it in the garbage. Um, that's, that's one thing to do. Regarding the, 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 the new media and the internet and everything else we mentioned, um, that becomes more problematic because, you know, if, if, you're, if your family member, if a friend, if a neighbor has on their computer missionaries coming into their computer because it's all over the internet, it's all over YouTube, it's all over social media, then there it becomes a little bit more, you know, difficult because people might not be aware, first of all, that it's even happening. So, you know, a parent's going to have a child in their house on the computer, the parents are doing other things, and the child is, meanwhile, writing and learning about Christianity without the parents even knowing. So, uh, and that happens a lot. I've actually met dozens and dozens and dozens of, 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 um, of children, of young adults, you know, under the age of 18, who, behind the backs of their parents, started to believe in Christianity. And uh, uh, we were very lucky to catch it in time, but we could actually help you know, help them realize that it's, it's a false belief and he was not the Messiah, as they say, as they claim. So that can happen. So how do we avoid that? Um, first of all, having open communication with, uh, between parents and children. Very important. Very important. Um, a child should always feel like they can ask their parents any question. I, I, I once heard from a, a from family, from a Haredi family, that the child asked a question and the father yelled out, you know, oh, that's a kfila question. It's a, right, you're, you're asking questions that are like uh, completely against the Shem. That should not be the reaction of a parent. A parent should always listen to the questions. A question is just a question, you know, it's all about how do you answer that question. So you should never make your child feel wrong about asking questions. Right. Um, and now if a parent does not know how to answer that kind of question, and that's completely normal as well, they can say, listen, I, there is an answer. I don't know it, but let's talk to the rabbi. Let's find the organization that deals with this. Let's talk to a theologist. We'll get you the answer. But that, that open communication is super important. That's the first thing. Now, second thing is I would say, if for whatever reason, a child or a family member, or even, you know, a neighbor, or a, a member of the community has already took a step into that, nothing negative should be done against them. So if we push them away, oh, you're not welcome to here. Oh, you can't dive in with us. Oh, they're just going to go closer to the missionaries. They're not wanted in their own community. So what do we do? We have to separate between the person and their actions. You know, we should look at this, at this situation as separate things. We have this person we care about this person. He's a Jew. He's part of our community. Maybe it's my child. Maybe it's my, my, my brother. Okay. I don't agree with what you're learning, what you're studying, what you believe, but I care about you. 
And that separation will keep a bond, an open bond between us and that person to be able to communicate, to talk, to meet, and to bring an expert to be able to help them. So that's also very important. Never you know, destroy that, that communication, that bond. Third thing is, like I said, make sure that you know um, um, what your children, are, where your children are on the internet. I mean, apart from missionaries, there's all sorts of weird and dangerous stuff on the internet. Okay, there's predators, there's all sorts of stuff. So yes, we should be aware. We should know what our children are doing, um, what our uh, what our teenagers are doing on the internet. We should ask them. And um, certain signs might show stuff up. For instance. If all of a sudden our children or, again, whoever this person is, are speaking in, a, in, a, in different phrases, different, um, maybe even using different verses from the Bible, are all of a sudden mentioning, you know, different prophets and different chapters and different things, that should ring, you know, that, sh- that should ring a bell, meaning there's something going on here. Why are they all of a sudden talking about the Bible? Right. Why are they all of a sudden talking, you know, about different theological things that, we are not so familiar with in the day-to-day, you know, life of a, you know, a religious from uh, family or even a secular family. All of a sudden the person is becoming more, you know, religious. We should find out where is it coming from? Where are they getting their information? Where are they learning this? Um, a third, another, another thing to be aware of is that all of a sudden a person can be very happy. Okay. It's very natural that if someone starts something new, whatever it might be, it's going to make them feel good. You know, it could be a diet. It could be sports. It could be anything. But it can make them feel good, which is great. But when it comes from, you know, Christianity, we should know about it. We should know how to deal with it. So if all of a sudden someone seems very happy and elevated and, you know, and glowing, we should try to find out why, what's going on there. You know, ask them. Unbelievable. Wow. I see, Rabbi Yav, you have uh, experience with this. And uh, like they say, you've been there, right? With what I understand, you've been there. Yes, yes. Sadly to say, I have the experience. You know, I always pray, I always wish for that I don't have to do what I do. You know, my, my dream is to become, you know, I always say like when Geula comes, when the redemption comes, when, when Mashiach finally comes, that I'll be able to be like a history teacher, right? I'll be able to teach the what history happened of Galus, in the past, <laughs> in, the past in, in the Galus, in, in, in exile, right? What happened? Right. <laughs> That's what I wish for. But until that happens, sadly to say, I have to work in this help and help and give therapy to people and help them come out of Christianity into Judaism. Unbelievable. So this is one of the amazing things that uh, Yad Laachim is involved with. And we know that another division, another part of uh, what they do is, uh, is the rescuing. And uh, maybe the rabbi could describe for us a little bit of your, a uh, few of your great rescue missions that you were involved with, uh, with regards to uh, Yad Laachim. Yes. So maybe I'll just mention to the, the audience uh, viewing us that, um, Yad Laachim is comprised from a few, a few divisions. One of them is, like we mentioned, is, is the division that deals with missionaries in, in Christianity. Um, another division has to do with um, education. So we help uh, uh, enlist children and uh, uh, teenagers into uh, Jewish schools, religious schools, and even from schools. That's and what Hanak does in New York. <laughs> and Yad Laachim has been doing that for, for more than 70 years. That was the original um, um, thing that the, the organization did. And the third part, the third division is the division um, basically fighting assimilation and intermarriage. So we deal with uh, Jewish women and also Jewish men who are, you know, either dating or uh, in a relationship or married to a non-Jew. 
the majority of the work is with Jewish women who are married to Arabs, to Muslim Arabs. And um, we help them because these women are, the majority of them are abused. I mean, in, in, the, in general, the, in the um, Muslim Arab uh, culture, um, it's actually mentioned in the Quran. It's written in the Quran. I had, I, I've, I've studied the Quran. I've learned it. Uh, there's a place to, to, to abuse a, a, a woman and the children for educational purposes. So, for instance, I always say this, you know, if I hear my neighbors, you know, beating, beating my wife, excuse me, beating their wife, I would call the police right away, you know, save her life. In an Arab village, when Arabs hear a woman being beaten, nobody calls. Nobody does anything because it's, it's the husband's right to beat his wife. So a lot of these women go through terrible abuse, physical, mental, um, financial abuse. The children, these children who are Jewish children are always, also going through terrible abuse. And these are Jewish women who, in the, again, I'm generalizing, but the majority of them come from, um, from broken families, from the, the you know, lower social economical background. Um, uh, some of these women have been, themselves been abused before. Um, some of these women have no fathers. They're orphans from a father. So they, they, the majority of them have, I would say, emotional you know, issues. And these, these Arab men, you know, they, they have a few reasons. Why are they getting married with a Jewish woman? You know, can't they find an Arab woman? Well, there's a few reasons for that. One reason is it's in their community, it's forbidden to date before marriage, similar to, the, to our Jewish, you know, religious from community. You know, there's, there's no such thing as dating before marriage, right? We marry and then uh, we, we start a family. So what happens is, to be to get married, you have to also come up with a huge amount of money to to basically like a um, an idunia, right? To, to to give the 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 man gives this to the woman's family to basically buy the woman. Now, if you're 18, 19 years old, where are you going to come up with a hundred thousand dollars to give to the to that woman's family? You don't have the money now. You're going to have to work for several years, save up, and then you can be able to do that. So a lot of these men are saying, "Well, but I want to date someone." So they're looking to the Jewish community, to the Jewish secular community, okay? Not only, but the majority is secular, but there's also religious w- it, it, women and, 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 or so I would say young women who fall into this. And what are they looking for? They're looking, again, for that weaker woman, for that woman who has, you know, low self-esteem, no confidence, has issues. And what do they do? They show her love. They show, they buy her gifts. They, they're, they're romantic. They're doing for many, many months, they could put up this show, basically, you know, trying to, 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 win, her, to win her, to win her love. And, and a lot of these young women are not aware of where it's going to lead to them to, you know. They, they can never imagine that, oh, and next year I'll be stuck in a village without a phone, beaten every day, forced to become a Muslim. You know, they would never imagine that. If they thought that would happen to them, they would stop. The relationship and a lot of times he builds this up to be able to marry her and to bring her into his village he will say whatever he needs to say to convince her to come over once she's in the village she's stuck she can't leave he's he disconnects her from her family from her friends she can't visit anybody i mean she's in prison she's mamish in prison she's she's this is a real prison so, um, so he does this, for, that's one of the reasons. Another reason why he does it 
is because this is like a terror attack, right? A lot of these Arabs are interested in hurting the Jewish people, right? We're at war with them for so long. And, you know, suicide bombings, rockets, guns and knives, those things have not stopped us. So another way for them to get to, get to the Jewish people is to take one of their girls. And by doing that, it's, all, it's like these circles around this girl. So her immediate family, it breaks them. All of her friends, it breaks them too. It's, it's, it's so painful to know that, you know, your, your family member or your friend is stuck in an Arab village and there's nothing you can do to help, to help her. And so that, that leads this woman there. Now, once she's there, she, very quickly, she's pregnant with children. And in the um, Muslim law in Israel and in general, when there's a divorce, the, the Muslim courts will give the children to the father. As opposed to most courts around the world, where custody usually is half-half, or mother, mother gets full custody. It's usually with the courts. In Muslim courts, it's the opposite. There's no half and half. The children are always with the father. Now, she knows this. Now, he, if she tells them that she wants to leave, she knows she's never going to see her children again. So most mothers, can't, they can't leave. You know, it, it, it's too painful. So that keeps her in this vicious cycle of abuse, of, 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 of being just, you know, taking away everything. You know, there's women who tell us after we rescued them, oh, for so many years, I wanted to light Shabbos candles. I wanted to have matzah for Pesach. I wanted to, to, to light Hanukkiah, menorah for Hanukkah. He, I couldn't do those things. If I even asked him, I just asked him if I could do it, he would beat me. So, so we, we at Yad Le'achim have this, this opportunity to do this outreach and, and, and reach, the, reach out to these women uh, through the phone, through Facebook, through internet, through whatever means possible to try to get to them, to talk to them, and to explain to them that we are here to help them leave the village. Now, I want to tell you a few stories. Sure. Um, the first story actually is a very, very, um, very happy story because just recently, 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 um, uh, about two months ago, I was at an amazing wedding. And in this wedding, the father comes up to me. He knows who I am. He gives me a huge hug. And he tells me, Yoav, thank you for saving my son's life. Okay? He says, nobody else knows his son. Nobody else knows what, you know, what's going on. Nobody knows who I am. But he gives me this huge hug. And he's, he's got tears in his eyes. And he says, thank you. What was the story? Two years ago, we get a call from a, a desperate mother from, listen to this, from a Frum community. Her son, age 18, left the house. He's disappeared. We don't know where he is. Okay? But, I, but the mother says, I have a feeling that he went to an Arab village and he's, and he's decided to become Muslim. Why? Okay, that's that's the call. First of all, you should know this is this is pretty unusual. We usually get women who, through a relationship, you know, become Muslim, not because of theology. Okay. Um, so we get the call. We try to you know use our. We have connections. We I can't I can't uh, uh, say too much, but we have connections and we have informants and we have like intelligence like the army to to gather information. So 
the information comes to us after two days that yes, he is actually in a mosque in an Arab village in the center of Israel. And he's been there for the last two weeks. And apparently he's, he's converted to Islam. Okay. Later on, I would learn that one of the reasons why he did this was that, you know, he, he was, he was a confused young man. He had troubles in school. He had trouble learning. And one thing led to another. He felt like he wasn't a part of anything. And, and later on, I'll explain why it's so important that we have, we show care and love to our community, to our members in our community, in our schools, in our family, because this was basically a lack of love, a lack of care. He felt like he was all alone. And this place, this is this mosque was actually it's there's only in all in all of Israel there's two mosques that w- are working on doing missionary work for Islam. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's not Christianity, it's Islam, but they're doing outreach for Islam. So he they were able to contact him. I don't know exactly how, and they convinced him to come and join them, and he did. So I'm. I, it, it was Rosh Chodesh Elul, like two and a half years ago, and. I'm actually sitting in a shoe in a Torah in a, in, a, in, a, in a Torah class, and we're eating, and we're saying lechaim, we're studying. It's Rosh Chodesh Elul, we're preparing. Right, Tishrei is coming, Rosh Hashanah, and I get a phone call. It must have been eleven thirty at night. I get a phone call from one of our, um, our one of the guys in our in our organization. He's the head of the security, and he tells me, "Listen, we got a phone call from the guy. He's he's having a hard time in the mosque." He's thinking about leaving. He wants to, you know, desperately, he wants to talk to someone. Nobody else is available right now. Are you available to go? Because he knew where I was and he knew I was relatively close. I was, you know, another another security guy that works with us. It could have taken him a, an hour and a half to get there. I was 20 minutes away. So I say, of course, I'll do it. I, you know, I, I say lechaim with everybody in the table. I say, get, wish me luck. In the merit of this Rosh Chodesh, of the month of Elul, I'm going in, okay? I go, I go to my car, I, I put on, I change my clothes so I, I don't look from. I put a baseball cap on. Um, it was... it was. What do you um, do with that beard? I, I actually, it was, it was like a few months after the corona started here, so I, I put on a mask. I, I put on, on my windows, I have like this... Um, uh, a thing that I can tint my windows. It's like a it's like a fabric that makes my windows dark. And I also thought to myself, it's 12, 12 it's after 12 o'clock at night. There's not going to be a lot of people in the Arab village. Hopefully nobody's going to recognize me. Nobody's going to stop me. But I knew I had to get there quickly. He, this was the time he was ready to leave. He wanted to speak to someone. And there was, you know, I, I, I didn't want to waste any minute. So I went, I went in, I, you know, I was, to be honest with you, I usually am not the person doing the rescues. I don't, I don't speak Arabic. I'm not fluent, fluent in Arabic. Like our security guys that work with us, they are, you know, completely fluent in Arabic. They dress like Arabs. They know all the, the nuances of a Muslim. You know, they can go into a mosque and pray like a Muslim. So they're the guys that usually rescue these women out. They, they take the women and children. These are highly trained professionals who served in the IDF in very sensitive commando units who are trained to do this. They, they, they're like basically like a spy, okay? And I'm not, but I had to go. So I went in there and, um, you know, I said, I said a prayer before I went in. Hashem should be with me and it should be successful. And when I went in, an Arab village is, it's in Israel, it, it's not built like a regular city. 
for most cities, you have blocks, you have, you know, streets, avenues, you know, it's more or less, you've got numbers. In the Arab villages, the, the construction and the building is chaotic. Like some of the roads are, aren't even, you know, paved. There's, they're not even straight. The numbers can jump around without any logic. And, you know, I'm looking for this mosque. I can't find it. And I'm going into different alleys and I, it's like one way and it's like no end. And it's like, I'm starting to sweat. Okay. And I know the guy's waiting for me. So eventually, Baruch Hashem, thank God, I was able to reach the, 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 the mosque. I told the guy, don't take anything with you except for your wallet and your phone. Leave your bag with all your clothing, with everything you had. Leave it there because they're going to suspect you. Come outside. Tell them you're going out for a cigarette. Come outside. I, I told him what my car looked like. And I said, just get into the car and we're leaving. And that's exactly what happened. He came in. We drove out. Thank God we got out of the, uh, the, out of the village. I could take down all the things on my windows. And now, st- now starts a process. Again, he, it's, this guy wasn't completely ready to leave. He still saw himself as a Muslim. He still believed in the theology. So now started a process that took more than a year to bring him out of Islam and back into Judaism. Eventually, I was able to bring him into, yesh- into the yeshiva. So he went back into yeshiva. He did tshuva, complete tshuva. And he got a shiduch. And two months ago what is, was his wedding. Wow. So very, very happy. Very, you know, it, it was a, an amazing wedding to be in. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is, he's starting off his, his new life as a, as a married couple and with all the good things. That is a crazy story. Rabbi, whoa. I want to tell you another story. Do we have a few more minutes? Sure, of course. Okay. So I, I also sometimes, because of my work with uh, missionaries, I, 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 tr- I want to meet a, you know, a man who converted to Christianity and I want to meet him to talk to him about, you know, about theological uh, um, concepts and, and belief and, you know, to try to pull him back into Judaism. So I had a young man who, his, his, who actually comes from a traditional family, not a religious from family, but a traditional, what's called Masoti. And um, he converted to, to Christianity and he told his parents I'm not going to meet any rabbi. I'm not going to meet any, you know, anybody on, on the subject. So there was no way for me to meet him. You know, I, I look like a rabbi. What am I going to do? So I decided, you know what? Okay, for, for the sake of meeting this person, maybe I should, you know, uh, take my hat off, take my jacket off, and uh, dress a little different. So, I, you know, I, I dressed up in a baseball cap and a Hawaiian shirt. I tucked in my thesis and I came with flip-flops. I looked like I came from the beach, right? All I needed was a surfboard. And, um, and you know, you, you probably ask yourself, what do you, how do you hide this beard, right? <laughs> the truth is I'm very lucky. In the past few years, it's become very fashionable for secular Jews and non-Jews to have beards. I think <laughs> they call it hipsters. You've probably heard this or seen this, right? Yeah. It's it's like in Israel, you see a guy with a long beard. I always want I I, I want to tell him, you know, I think you dropped your kippah because <laughs> the way your beard looks, you gotta be you must be from. Anyway, so I came to this meeting. We sat in a mall. This was the only place they wanted to meet, and I was very lucky that they wanted to speak to me. You know, they didn't feel like you know I was a from person. And, I, and again, I, I I never lie. So if they asked me, are you from? I would say yes. I never lie, but you know, I can choose to dress a little bit different. Um, and we sat there 
for several hours. I think it was almost seven hours in the food court of the mall. Wow. To, to, with an open Tanakh, with an open Bible, with an open New Testament, right? The Christian book. And it, halfway through the session, uh, a guy walking by next to us notices that I'm speaking about, you know, about Yoshke, about Christian, Christian theology. He looks down, he sees, he sees a New Testament. So what does he do? He goes to, around to the other side of the food court. He pulls out his camera. He takes a picture of me. He calls Yad Le'achim and he tells them, there is a missionary in the mall trying to convert the young man. <laughs> lucky, lucky for me, they knew I was at the mall. They told him, don't worry. It's one of our guys. <laughs> but that's also something that can happen. That is hilarious. By the way, though, it was a very successful meeting. From that meeting came many other meetings. After the first, at the end of the first meeting, I told them, listen, I usually don't dress like this. You know, I, I came clean and I told them I don't dress like this. I only dress like this because I knew that you would not meet me. And I thought that it, it, it's worth for the sake of, of meeting you and talking to, you know, change my dress code. Um and they were perfectly fine with it. You know, they didn't feel like I, I lied to them or fooled. And the next meetings, I already came dressed like this. Andrew. And by the way, they, they left Christianity. They, they, they did tshuva. And Baruch Hashem, they're, they're, they, they're connected now to a weekly uh, Torah class on Zoom. Amazing. 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 Wow. These stories are such chizuk, such inspiration. And uh, it just shows us how amazing Klal Yisrael is that we have such organizations, such rabbis, such individuals that go the extra mile to save our fellow brothers and sisters to do Kiruv Rechukim, to reach out to those that are far. So, so Rabbi, there's this major focus on Kiruv Rechukim, and justly so, obviously, it's very important to reach out to those that are far. You know, Chazak, we in Queens, in New York, in America, we, we're, we're, we're uh, working Yom Amvelayla day and night, uh, but, uh, but and of course, Yad Lachim and Eretz Yisrael. But how do we strengthen our families in the sense of Kiruv Kerovim to be Mikar, to bring close those that are near, those that are intern, those that are with us, so that we don't have to uh, work on those that have fallen off in a sense. Right. So, very similar to what I mentioned before, is the importance of having a healthy, open relationship to be able to speak about everything. A child that does not feel like they're loved is going to look somewhere else for that love. It could be with an Arab man. It could be in Christian, you know, Christian church. And it could be in other cults. I mean, there's, there's many, many other cults around us that are also dangerous, not just Christianity. So love, caring, um, showing interest. You know, sometimes we have families that have many, many children, and it feels like it's overwhelming, you know. But it, it's not about the, 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 the quantity of time you give a child. It's the quality. You know, it could be only a few, a few minutes a sentence, a, 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 asking a question that shows that you care, that you're interested in their life, that you're interested in what they're doing, that you're interested in what they're interested in. Those are things that are important to do. Telling our children, telling our family members, I care about you. I love you. You're important. You know, you're, 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 you're so valuable to us. Those are things that are important. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's like a plant, Right. For a plant to live, you have to take care of it. You have to water it. You have to give it sunlight, right? You have to nourish it. We have to nourish, right, emotionally, spiritually, and even physically, our family members, our community, our even our neighbors. You know, we have a neighbor who's lonely. We should invite him for Shabbos meals. Give him, send him a cake. 
Ask how he's doing. Be interested. Show that he, make him feel like he's part of our community. That's very important. These are the ways to do kiruv on the koivim, making sure that those that are close to us are, are continuing and staying close to us. And that's, you know, I, I can't emphasize that enough. It is so important to do that. And that's really the best way to avoid all of the problems that can arise, not just in, like we mentioned before, intermarriage, assimilation in Christianity, but, you know, drugs and alcohol and, and, and all sorts of stuff that can come up. So though, that's basically, in my opinion, the way to do that. I just want to mention one thing. If you look behind me. Yeah, I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I should say, first of all, I'm sitting right now in a room. I chose this room specifically for the Zoom meeting for this, for this uh, interview. So um, this is a room that is used on a daily basis to, with a, a social worker or therapist to meet a young woman or a, an older woman and, and their children who we helped take out of Arab villages. Also, Jews who were in Christianity and other cults. This is the, the, the room where, where we give therapy, um, where, we, where we, we basically talk and help and go through a process. Over the years, how many women would you say have... Uh... I would say thousands wow. and thousands of women sat here. These walls are full of the stories, the tears, the laughter, the healing process that these women, children, and men went through. Uh, this poster right here, actually, is a poster that's, you know, we're coming close now to Purim. I, I want to just translate. It says, this year, I, 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 I'm, I'm dressing up for Purim like my father. Oh, right? This wow. is the story of a Jewish boy. His name is Ahmed, but he's the son of Sarah, of Sarah. He's a Jewish boy, but wow. he's growing in an, and identifying himself as a Muslim, as an Arab, okay? And, and every year, you know, this is part of what we are trying to do is trying to get more and more of these families, these women, these children out so they can celebrate Purim like a Jew would celebrate it, right? And the second poster here, I don't know if it's kind of hard to see, but it's, it's, it's a picture of a tree with like a, a, a little piece of paper that was attached with a staple. And it says, a Jew has gone lost. The person who finds should call this number, a, a lost Jew. This is talking about Jews falling into Christianity. Mm. This is the lost Jew, right? It's that, that has gone lost. And it basically talks about how the missionaries are working to, to capture and take Jews, these innocent Jews. So this is the work we do. Unbelievable. Um, I will never forget the video of Rabbi Vadi Yosef Zechitzadeh with the children that Yala Achim have rescued. And they came to him one time and, and he would give them the slap. It was just so inspiring to see how many children have been saved, literally saved uh, physically, spiritually. And uh, the work that you guys do is just unbelievable. I'll just like to make one point. You know, there's Christianity, there's Islam. I heard a chidush, an insight once, that the reason why there's two major religions in the world is because if there would only be one, then people would say, oh, you have to go after the robe, after the majority. The fact that there's two majorities shows that one for sure is 100% wrong, and it shows that it centers how Yiddish kind of Judaism, you know, if you would ask Islam, where do you start from, or Christianity, where do you start from, or what other religion, if not yours, it just shows the, the call, the power, the amazingness of, of, of Yiddish kind of Judaism. I'd have to tell you, you're the expert. <laughs> but uh, I got to tell you, Rabbi Yoav Robinson, the chizuk is unbelievable. The inspiration is unbelievable. But before we let go of you, we hope we could continue on and on forever, but it's not possible. The final question is one final message. 
But before you tell us the final message, how does one learn more about these stories of, of the of the work that uh, that you're involved with and stuff? Is there like a Yes. So um, if people are interested in hearing more and, and, and viewing you know, more stories, uh, we have a YouTube channel they could go into. It's called Yad Le'achim. You can go on YouTube and watch it. Um, most of the stories we can't really tell because uh, um, most of the families, you know, it's, it's personal, it's private. private it's, yeah. it's, but um, yes, there are stories on YouTube of women actually talking about what happened to them. So you can watch. They're telling their story. You can also watch a, a an actual extraction from an Arab village that, that we, we had a, a video a crew, a television video crew came with us for an extraction like that. So wow. You can watch that as well. And just keep updated. We all, the, our, our YouTube channel, we have a Facebook account as well. These are things that are updated all the time. You can watch. You can I'm learn. sure Yadlachim also has a regular website for those that might not be able to go. Yes, we have a website on okay. our website. We update stories all the time in English. Every week, several stories come up. Very interesting. So one final message that all of us could take back our large audience, our crowd. What do you say, Rabbi Yoav Robinson? So I think the, 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 you know, a powerful message that we can take with us is that I think it's almost inherent that every Jew wants to help another Jew. Right? It's, it's, it's a natural thing. It's, We're all one. Exactly. So we should know that to be able to help another Jew, we also have to help ourselves. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to help myself? That means that when I'm interested in going out there, doing kiyuv, you know, helping, whatever it might be, doing charity work, doing tzedakah, I should, before I do that, before I take that action, before I, you know, take that step, I should stop and focus with myself. How am I going to also grow and change from that? How can I take upon myself one more mitzvah? Maybe I should stop and learn another Mishnah. Maybe I should stop and learn, you know, say a capital Tehillim, you know, one more Psalm of Tehillim. But I should do something spiritual to connect myself even higher that I can influence. The idea is that to become a beacon of light, we have to connect to the powerhouse, which is Hashem, God, right? If we're connected to Him, we're going to light this world up, mm-hmm. okay? So before I run out, it's like almost like this. A firefighter, before he goes to take out the fire, to, right, to, 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 he has to take all of his stuff with him, all of his equipment, right? He has to connect the hose to the water hydrant. He's got to make that connection to the source to be able to, you know, you know put out the fire. So if we want to light up the world, we got to make sure we are connected. And doing that is taking a moment, reflecting how I can transform, how I can change, what little thing I can do for myself to grow. Because when I grow, I'm going to be able to influence more people, help more people, and elevate more people. But I have to remember, I have to be connected to God. I have to be connected to Hashem. So that's my advice. See how you can do one little thing to connect yourself even more, and then you'll be able to help you know, hundreds, thousands, infinite amounts of Jews. Unbelievable, amazing final message. Rabbi Robinson, it was a pleasure, it was a mamash and an honor to be able to have you on the program. We want to remind everyone every single Tuesday, Chazak Torah Talks, amazing Tuesday uh, night guests, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Make sure to tell your family, your friends, your neighbors, and encourage others uh, to be inspired and to hear these amazing, inspiring uh, talks. Uh, Rabbi Yoav, I want to thank you once again. Thank you very much. Too. Amazing. And Bezat uh, we shall all see uh, see you uh, together. The Yerushalayim Erev with the Gulashlamah with the Kimli Redemption and Chikambe Merabe Amenu. 
ספינר דיז, אמן. חזק ברוך.